0: Hey everyone, this is Kevin Eslin and you are listening to another episode of Folk Stories. Folk Stories is a podcast where we have long form conversations with founders, innovators, and top performers. We talk about how they got here, what they do, and the stories that they have to share. Today, my guest is Alex Mondo, Community Ambassador at The Collective. The Collective is a co-working space located in Seattle's Westlake Union and it's described by its founders as an urban base camp for the mind, body, and soul. Alex started The Collective one and a half years ago with business partner Tommy Trauss in order to create a diverse community where people can build genuine relationships and find refuge from life outside the walls. Prior to founding The Collective, some of Alex's former goals including selling sustainable real estate and working tables at the Agua Verde Café. As a kid, Alex wanted to be an adventurer, and spend time in the mountains of Nepal and trying to be a mountain guide. In today's episode, we talk about hospitality and its tight feedback loops. We talk about the collective and why it was started. And we talk about community and ways of fostering it. And now, without any further ado, I give you Alex Mondo. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Good to be here. So um, you are the community ambassador today at the collective. But I figure that before we uh, go into your current goal and what you do now, I think it would be interesting for listeners to know where you came from. And I figure if you take us back, like, when you were a kid, what did you want to be? And <laughs> yeah. what
1: happened in the meantime? All right. Well, uh, I I grew up in Olympia and, um, you know, 15, 20 miles outside of town, so... My you know kind of childhood was a lot of uh playing outside in the woods and um you know Puget Sound being right there uh, a lot of time on the salt water and so I think you know what I wanted to be when i when I was a little kid was an adventurer that you know spent time outside uh and I think you know at, at some point that you know got close to thinking like oh I'd be a mountain guide um I figured out that I was good at school, I think, uh, which led me away from the mountain-guiding community. But, um, you know, what brought me, uh, you know, kind of up to Seattle was always seeing this big city where there's these incredible things going on. And uh, if you're from Olympia, you know, you'd come up here to, like, watch a a Seahawks or a Sonics game. And, And so when I went away to school... In L.A., but as soon as I graduated, I, I uh, moved straight back to Seattle. When I was looking you up on LinkedIn,
0: it mentioned that you got a degree in tech and society um, in Pomona.
1: Yeah, yeah. So science, technology, and society is kind of um, one of those majors where you got to choose a bit of your own adventure. We, um, you know, basically we were allowed to pick a hard science and a social science to Uh, focus on and so uh, environmental economics was kind of my social science and then psychology was my hard science though you know some would argue that's not you know it's not like an organic chemistry or anything but um, what it really played out to be was this history and philosophy of um, science and, and really how humans create tools to address their needs and then how our lives are impacted you know, intentionally and unintentionally positive and negative from use of those tools. And, you know, kind of like Plato to biotech. Uh, and, and it was a fascinating course, a lot of just getting into like, why are we doing the things we're doing and what's happening because of it? And, um, for a kid that loved the book, like the way things work was this like giant hardback book (laughs) that, you know, had, you know, this is how they built the pyramids and stuff that, that was a natural major for me. And I had a great time. That seems, uh, really unique because like most colleges you go to,
0: you have, you know, like this is your major, this is your minor. Sometimes you have to decide that before you go to school. Um, but it sounded like at Pomona it was a lot more
1: free form. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, Pom- Pomona is an interesting place. It's, it draws people from all over the country, all over the world really. And, um, you know, it's definitely a very academic centric environment, um, you know, an exorbitant number or percentage of of students, I think, show up pre-med just because they're like, we're high achievers, we get good grades, so we should probably be doctors. And for me, um, yeah, uh, it was like chemistry was going to be three days a week at 7am with labs, and that (laughs) didn't sound as interesting as like, a 7 p.m. three-hour seminar on philosophy. And so it was pretty easy for me to switch away from uh, what might have been a pre-med track to, to something that was a, kind of like a little bit more enticing to me at that stage of my life. Um, but yeah, I, mean, there's, I, I had a lot of classmates that were, you know, econ, pre-med, and they're doing great stuff. But for me, I was kind of interested in investigating the edges a little bit more. Yeah. And
0: so after you graduated... Did you have a sense of what you
1: wanted to do? Hmm. I mean it turns out after I graduated what I wanted to do was play in the mountains <laughs> and so it wasn't necessarily that my degree um, was uh, you know a, a direct translation into a, into a job after school but um, you know I, I moved up to Seattle in 2005. the real estate market was... Crazy. Um, This was pre crash, um, you know, white hot. And um, I decided to uh, work for a developer selling built greenhouses. And and for me, what really attracted me to that was um, this experience of inviting people into a place that they would call home. And the development that I was uh, selling homes in actually was across the street from the middle school that my dad had helped found and so you know for for someone to ask like hey how are the schools here or what's it like being in this community i could answer that so authentically and truly just be like this is a great place to grow up i grew up here you will love it there's wonderful people around i can introduce you to them and what i learned then was i can i can sell something that i believe in and and um and then when the market kind of fell apart and um and I was moved to a different area in, in Western Washington and trying to sell houses in a place that wasn't home for me. Uh I really quickly realized I can't sell things that I don't know or don't care about. And so uh I left real estate and um and so I still was answering that question of like what do I want to do when I grow up. And I spent a lot of time in um in Asia, in Nepal, uh trying to become a mountain guide or a mountaineer. Uh and uh, it did would really, be the places to do. It. Yes, yes. I mean, they've got mountains. They've got wonderful people. The people are uh, even more spectacular than the mountains in Nepal. But um, yeah, when I came back from that trip, uh, I I kind of was looking for a summer job, and and my um, my dad's buddy, um, I call him my uncle Mick. He was uh, running and, and owning uh, Agua Verde Cafe over in the U District, and so I, I kind of rolled in there thinking summer bartending job, maybe a month, six weeks while I found a real job. And, uh, I was there for five years. <laughs> um, and, you know, basically ended up running all the operations side of things and, um, doing a lot of support for the folks that are making that, that food and, and, and service. And so I was kind of the like behind the scenes operations guy and, um, fell in love with the hospitality industry and just the experience of, you know, you could succeed or fail every five minutes for, you know, hours uh, in a row. And and your feedback loop was so tight that you really got to know whether you were meeting that customer expectation because, you know, the best way to manage a restaurant is to bus because you're picking up the plate and you see what they ate, you see what they didn't, you know, when the last time you set that table was, you know, how soon they, you know, were served their food. And, um, yeah, I got hooked on hospitality. Uh, And and that, that started to become the kind of, like, shaping force. And what I wanted to do when I grew up was um, create experiences and and support people having a great, great experience.
0: There's so much from what you just said. Um, First thing, when you talked about going into the bartending role temporarily and then five years have gone by, Mm -hmm. um, personally, I've had lots of those experiences. (laughs) And I remember, like, when I graduated from college, one of my mentors, a professor, uh, he talked about how, like, basically... You know, you turn around, you turn your head, and then 40 years have passed. <laughs> and while it's not quite that extreme, it's just, it's really easy for time to pass by mm-hmm. as you're doing these things. Mm-hmm. When you talked about um, busing and mm-hmm. hospitality and how you, you know, constantly get feedback, I'm curious, when you started, like, what were some of the things that you took away? Like, what were some of the lessons that you learned to do or not do as you serve people?
1: Mm. Well, I mean... First and foremost, folks are showing up hoping to have a good time. You know, Very rarely is someone walking into the restaurant saying, I'm looking forward to having a shitty meal and being frustrated with my service experience. So give people that opportunity to have the experience they're looking for. Um, And not, you know, what that means is You know, you don't necessarily have to say You know, the customer's always right Like people are happy to have Some framework to their experience You know, the idea that You can do anything and we will serve you anything Is really actually confusing to people You know, give them them things that You know, you think you do really well And they're very inclined to say Great, that's why I'm here I, I actually want to have something That you do really well So if that's tacos and margaritas Then, you know people in the right direction and they're going to be pretty happy. Um, You know, the other thing is really recognizing that in many times at at a meal, someone is hosting and the experience of being a host when you're at a restaurant is you're a little bit out of control of some things. And so recognizing if there's someone there that is trying to put together that experience and then supporting them Within the framework of what you can do, you know Um, that that especially at Agua Verde was such a fun thing to do because being in such close proximity to the university, we had our regulars that were coming from the medical school or from um, the professors or or students that were you know working in the fisheries department, that all those kind of um, buildings that are down there on Portage Bay. But then you also had every year you know graduation, and so you have. The student who is bringing their family to their favorite place. And now you have the parent, you know, who's kind of like, yes, I'm gonna pay for the meal, but I don't really know how this works. And the students like trying to show them the ropes. And so it's always fun just to kind of see some of your customers that you get to know over a couple of years, then, you know, kind of add this more context to their lives. And I think that that's what really, for me, um, I love is when you get to know someone and then they trust you enough to start bringing more of their family or friends or colleagues in to share that experience of service that you've kind of built with them, that trust that you've built. Yeah.
0: It it seems like you move beyond this transactional relationship into something that's more community-like.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that if we can, I mean, (laughs) big picture, right? Globally, if we can get less transactional and more relationship-based, we're going to, uh, I mean, get to know each other better, which hopefully leads to treating each other better and, and making this a better place to live. And you know, I, I think when you're in right relationship with um, the people around you, and, and maybe starting to pay closer attention to the place around you, then uh, a lot more things fall into you know fall into place around how you can uh, be a positive contributor to. You know your immediate community, uh, those relationships that you're engaged in, and then hopefully maybe even like that regional. Um, I mean, that regional landscape, the way that we treat the Puget Sound, you know, the way that we treat the forests. That that for me is what um, I really tried to bring forward. with the collective is that sense of place and celebrating it, so that uh, we really you know can. Take advantage of this opportunity that is hey we have this massive (laughs) economic machine pumping right now in seattle and that energy is going to go somewhere so if we can direct some of it into being regenerative and and positive impact in the people and the you know place around us uh and not just kind of extractive then you know that's better than not (laughs) you know you can't solve all the issues but you can certainly try to kind of point things in the right direction at the end of the day,
0: you know, a lot of problems. If you try to think about them on the scale of what this comprehensive solution would entail, it's a little overwhelming. Yeah, I'm thinking like homelessness, uh, global warming, the environment, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and sometimes you know it's
1: not tackling everything, but just starting somewhere. Right. Right. We well, uh, yeah, we so I, I did a MBA in sustainable business. Um, uh, the school is Bainbridge Graduate Institute. It's now kind of evolved into being a part of the Presidio uh, graduate school out of San Francisco. And um, one of the, I think, best courses and kind of lines of uh, thinking that we got to dig into there was systems thinking. And basically, you know, what you're doing is you're trying to, you, you are trying to map that kind of like really complex, wide-ranging, you know, interdependent um, landscape of what's going on. But with the goal of identifying some points of intervention that you can see, um, wow, if I made an impact here, this could play out three or four, you know, cycles and iterations throughout the system and create maybe even outsized positive impact from, you know, just making a little tweak. And, you know, those are things like, I mean, certainly education or, um, you know, sometimes policy changes or, you know, just cultural changes um, the the idea that if you really can change the story that people are living in then they'll they'll change their actions really really quickly you know we're actually you know very quick to change when it makes sense to us emotionally <laughs> when it doesn't make sense to us emotionally then we're, we're really stubborn <laughs> yeah i
0: think i mean history has demonstrated that people can change quickly um and but it seems like you know, if I recall like big moments, it's usually around times of war, um, like think World War II, um, and then the Manhattan Project sending mm-hmm. a man to the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with those, some of my takeaways, some of those situations is that people as a society can like focus all their efforts on a few things and really do things that are quite spectacular, yeah, but then at the same time, like the things that get people to that point often seem to be much more destructive in nature. Crisis. Yeah. And yeah. something I've always wondered is like, can you get that same level of support, of involvement, without the destruction?
1: Yeah. Well shoot. I mean I guess two two thoughts on that. One, like, I think the you know the impacts of world war ii and the negative externalities of kind of the hyper industrialization and like chemical um i mean just dynamic level of transformation that we can put our physical surroundings through using chemicals is is kind of mind-blowing and it was kind of necessary to win that war but it also had huge negative impacts and um you know you, you can go down to Georgetown and realize that we basically like sacrificed the Duwamish River to try to win World War II by way of you know airplane production down there and and you know we did a similar thing to the Columbia River Basin down in Hanford to you know try to put together I mean this nuclear program so you know World War II has kind of both created some of the most incredible technologies but also some of the most you know negatively impacting ones um, I think that. The well, when you're creating those tools and you start moving at that pace, you, you have a hard time, you know, kind of taking a moment to pause and saying, this "Is this a good idea to make this?" <laughs> you know, there's so many examples where, we're like, wow, maybe we didn't need to make that tool. We could, but did we need it? And um, so sometimes, you know, now we're facing that. I think with our information technology. Um, and 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 it's it's scary sometimes, and you're like, wow, are we making tools that we don't need just because we can make them, like just because we're clever? Um, and uh, that's what I love about circling back to hospitality is that putting your energy into just the people side of things, um, it's hard. It's, it's harder to get off track when you're mostly looking someone in the face and seeing emotionally. How, how did they experience that? Did they have a good time? You know, and, and hopefully at the end of the day, most of the people that came in had a great time. Yeah, I totally agree. I find that um, having
0: spent some time traveling um, to different parts of the world, it's it doesn't matter where the other person is from but if you can be in the same room and share a cup of tea or whatever it's mm-hmm. local custom, like it is really hard to walk away from that without seeing that person as a person, as a human being. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I guess now would be a good point to talk about the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that for people who might not be familiar, how would you describe the collective and what it is that you're trying to do with?
1: It? Hmm. I mean, the... Kind of philosophical uh, description would just the collective is a place to be yourself, and and, and what I mean by that is that uh, we really want to uh, extend that invitation um, to to come and interact and enjoy and celebrate and play to as many people from different backgrounds, um, experiences, perspectives, ages as possible, because. That richness that is the diversity of thought and uh, perspective and motivation and interests is, I think, really the magic of what it is to be part of a community that is, you know, not necessarily as homogeneous as, as we might find our families to be, or the, the towns that we grew up in to be, or, or maybe in the industries or the offices that we work in. Uh, my, um, you know, kind of business <laughs> description of the collective would be that, um, you know, it's an urban based camp. It's a social club. Uh, it's a place where, um, you know, we, we are trying to bring people together around shared passions and, um, some of those passions are professional and many of those are personal and we're, uh, operating in you know, 15,000 square feet of, um, you know, bar restaurant rock climbing wall, Uh, locker rooms campfire circle this you know urban playground for adults that is you know basically a place to um, sit down and get some work done or uh, meet up with friends after work or um, you know come in and learn something new about the cultural history of your place or a panel discussion on your industry uh, in the evenings we Um, invite our members to create programming in the space. So much of our programming is actually co-created. Basically, our team is facilitating for our members and their interests. Um, And then we try to find great um, community partners to bring in um, content that we can kind of share with people maybe in unexpected ways. So, um, you know, that might mean, um, you know, folks from the Seattle Symphony Playing, uh, I have this memory. Of last fall, the you know the symphony is doing the pop up, and we've got you know world class classic violins playing this incredible piece. And five feet away from them, on you know the bar TVs is the Seahawks game going um, on Monday Night Football, and half the people are watching. The football game, but then they're turning and listening to the, the violins, and I'm like, this is a great mashup because some of these people never would go listen to violins, and now that they, now they've had this incredible experience. And at the same time, people that maybe are are looking for that classical music experience are um, kind of waking up to like, wow, there's some other ways to go spend my evenings, and that crossover is is what we're kind of all about there.
0: Yeah, I think crossover is definitely. Something that I associate with, with the collective, like even your description, you know, office goons and campfires, rock <laughs> yeah. climbing and meetings, mm-hmm. and it's definitely something that I think sets it apart from almost any other place that I go to. When you started it, or when in the very beginning, mm-hmm. what made you decide that this was something that needed to be ha- to happen? It's you know, it seems like a huge undertaking. Yeah, and. It's tough for people to do new things. So
1: yeah, how did that come? From? Well, really, like I think many entrepreneurs, the you know the inclination to 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 build a community space, a third place, came from feeling that need personally. So moving to Seattle in 2005, um, you know, from Olympia, where uh, I really had a pretty established community, I knew people. I could run into someone at the store, um, you know, there were relationships that extended beyond just um people that might be in my class or something. And um when I got to Seattle after after college, um I was working back down in Olympia, but I I wanted to live in the big city and so what um, I moved in with my friend Tommy, and what we kind of quickly realized was, wow, you know, if we're not meeting our our people, our community at our jobs, then you know, and we live in this apartment um, downtown, then we got to walk out the door of the building, and where do we go? You know, what where do we walk in uh, and sit down or stand up and and get to know other people that might be. Sharing some of the passions that we have for playing outside or social impact, and you know what we realized was the Seattle has this you know incredible depth of history of, of community, and and at the same time, um, if you you know don't have a pre existing relationship with folks, it, it might be harder to kind of break into that circle. And uh, our friend Scott w- went to the University of Washington. He had this incredible network of people he knew from all over the city, and and. And Tommy and I are kind of looking around going, wow, how do, how do we build a similar kind of network of people that know us and care about us? And, and so, you know, this idea of a third place is not new. Obviously um, people have found community outside of work and home, uh, in churches, in, um, community groups, you know, coming together around, um, social impact projects or, or crisis. And, um, being hospitality kids, we were like, well, you know, we could just make a really cool place and people would probably want to come and hang out. And it took took a while to evolve that uh, idea into something that was, you know, financially viable and, and you know, um, something you could build a business around. But um, it, it, it was always what we came back to. You know, we would be Working on different jobs or or uh, working on different projects, but the you know the the conversation of the collective was always the one that came up if we we're sitting on a chairlift or on a long drive or um, you know going out for a beer and thinking like wow wouldn't this place be cool if it had this or that and um, so so it was a it was a big undertaking that that, that we um, took a long time to to develop but it was it was probably ten years from the first Google doc to like the grand opening party uh, with a lot of uh, you know steps forward and back and sideways and pauses in between but um, still an incredible journey to have been on and, and be in right now you know we're just coming in on a year and a half since we've opened and it's been one of the more rewarding experiences professionally for me is to mostly have the team that we have uh, that I get to work with every day. Do you remember when um, you decided that,
0: you know, the collective was something that you guys wanted to work on? Was that something that then you immediately jumped into, dropped everything you did, and started working full-time hmm. on this? Or was it more of a gradual transition? No, it was
1: it was a gradual transition. And, and, and I, you know, there were... Uh, a number of years when I was managing uh, at Agua Verde, and we were talking about this idea, and um, Tommy was, um, you know, working in the private club industry, but in a little bit more of the traditional setting, and um, and Scott was working in the real estate industry, um, and you know, so we we would share ideas on what we were seeing and, and what kind of opportunities might be out there. Um, but it was always kind of just like idea level, like not, wow, we're gonna quit our day jobs and go do this. Um I decided in two thousand ten to go to business school and um the collective, you know, business model was my entrepreneurship project. So I had some incredible help from classmates at school that, you know, kind of took on, you know, my dream project as our, you know, class project and we Um, You know, we did the market studies, we did the financial modeling, and um, we did the pitch competition, and we made the deck, and we, you know, we were, like, graduated ready to think, oh, yeah, we can go get investors now. And the reality of the Seattle real estate market is that, you know, it took a little bit more than just, um, you know, uh, a great side deck to to open a business. And we... um, I mean, we, we, we shopped, we looked, we had some really positive um, feedback from from folks that we really um, looked up to and ha- that had a lot of experience. And, and we never put it all together uh, on a lot of the buildings that we thought were really close. Um, and looking back, I can see why those folks, you know, that we thought might be interested didn't commit at those points. It wasn't the right fit. Um, so... All along, you know, we knew, hey, this was going to be a really kind of a long play. And, um, you know, we need the day jobs to pay for life in the meantime. And when things all came together with uh, our, our landlord here in, in South Lake Union, Alexander Real Estate really had the, um, you know, I think the vision to, to, trust us and or take a risk with us on this you know kind of outside the box idea of what a social club might look like it's below a bus stop it's all windows you know not a lot of uh leather bound books on the wall you know no dress code yes you know kind of shoes and a shirt help so when we jumped into that that's when that opportunity to work on it full-time opened up for me And, and so you know coming in on um not quite two years of working on it full-time and just it's so rewarding it's super fun but it but it was always something where it's like okay if we do this it's going to be a big commitment you know it's not not something that you can take lightly and it kind of takes over your life at some stages you know yeah i, I can only imagine <laughs> um right now you're
0: known as a community ambassador mm-hmm. um, at the collective and i'm wondering like what does that
1: mean Um, what are your responsibilities and what does your day look like yeah well um gosh every day is a bit different for sure um the, the things that are most consistent is that you know we serve lunch and um i i really uh love to get back into busing uh and see how we do at lunch and 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 watch how people enjoy their meal and um, you know so so everything kind of centers around lunch in the mornings it might be communication um, or, or meetings some planning some you know programming or events um, in the afternoons it, it might slide more into like producing or putting together those experiences um, so my role as community ambassador really kind of is a business development role um, if you know you were to kind of just look at it Um you know, from the LinkedIn perspective, I guess. Uh, and what what I what I do there is basically our programming, our partnerships, and our membership. So um, I I think of it as all the things that are an effort to bring good people in um, to the into the building, into the community. Um, and then I'm I'm so lucky to have um, Chris Wentland as um, our community. Uh, well he's our experience ambassador and so he basically leads all of our operations so you know within our business of a social club we run a full restaurant and bar you know with um, an espresso stand that opens at 6.30 in the morning and uh, you know bartenders making craft cocktails you know into 10 o'clock at night so that you know uh, full spectrum of know operations side chris leads and and leads really well and uh, the other member of our team that joined before we opened um juan garcia is our executive chef and he's just outstanding and and, you know when we think about um you know just what it takes to run that business day in day out um the team that juan builds in the kitchen is, is is core to that so i luckily you know i i have the opportunity to play and engage with the operations side but but i don't have to lead it i get to work on kind of the bigger picture ideas and then the uh experiences that people want to help create um so so yeah my job is basically to bring good people in and you know help them have fun building up the community yeah 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 yeah, exactly exactly and so now that the collective has
0: been around for over one and a half years now Mm -hmm. what has the reception been like how are you guys doing
1: Man, we're doing great. We, we, I mean, we really could not be happier. We've, we've been. Um, it's funny. We so Dexter Avenue um, is, you know, is our home. We're on the corner of Dexter and Harrison, or Dexter and Republican. The viaduct um, came down. The the tunnel opened. So the you know exit from the northbound tunnel is on one side of the building. The entrance to the southbound is on the other. And um, and Dexter is just just kind of starting to come around where when we opened literally every single building that was adjacent to us or that you could see from any of our windows was under construction or um a construction office pretty much you know we had uh, a couple buildings down the road you know there's a pilates studio and and glazers uh camera rentals but i mean we're basically like he's huge buildings that are under construction. So we were kind of on an Island. And, and so getting through that first year where it was like, wow, does anyone know we're out here on Dexter? Uh, to now where, um, you know, Facebook's, um, campus is opening UW medicine's campus is opening Apple signed the lease kind of across the street from us on the new Kilroy development. We're thinking, Holy smokes, we're about to, you know, really be in the thick of it. And it's really exciting. Um, we you know we feel really good about the partnerships that we've developed with um you know other you know kind of long-standing members of the community on the content side of things whether that's um, with the Seattle Times or, or the Symphony or um you know Seattle Foundation that helps um run our um kind of social impact program and uh and then and then super fun you know new artist groups that we're, we're getting to, to do work with like electric coffin, um, down out of, uh, Georgetown is just like, um, always got so much creativity going and, and, you know, we've got lots of different musicians that have come through and, um, some of our, some of our team members, like our servers and, and concierge, they DJ nights or, or perform. So, you know that blurred line between uh, employee and member. I really love that. You know, there's so many relationships that are developed, and and that's really the core of it. Um, financially, we're we're feeling great, and and you know, business is, um, you know, basically you got to earn someone's investment and in membership every month, and um, we we're seeing that we're able to do that, which feels really good. Um, just like any business in Seattle, the um, you know, the kind of overall like expensive living in the city is hard on people sometimes and so, you know, we do our best to, to, you know fit into the landscape of like yeah, people got busy lives they got, you know, demanding jobs they want a place to relax a lot of pressure on income but at the same time, you know, we think that we're kind of in that place where we're really high quality experience that can be pretty affordable and fit into your, into your week
0: yeah, I think when I first heard of the collective, or I guess like nowadays, if somebody were to tell me, like, we're going to open up like a space where people can work and hang out, um, the thousand pound gorilla in which we were actually currently sitting in. Yeah, yeah. is like the WeWorks mm-hmm. and like all the mm-hmm. other co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. And so I guess on a business side if you know, if I was an investor asking you, like there, you know, WeWork is huge. like Yeah. Why would people uh, like? What is a collective offering that is distinctive from that?
1: Right. Well, I think what what we know is that going going back to that hospitality side of things, um, that's what we do best. You know, um, we're we're going to have Wi Fi. We're going to have lots of places to plug in your computer and charge your devices, and we'll have good places to sit. Um, but we're not going to try to out office. Um, you know, a co-working space So, you know, you're not going to find Printer services and mailboxes And tons of private meeting rooms You're not going to run, like, a five-person Tech startup out of our space And grow it to 20, right? That that space, we work crushes They do really well And we're not trying to do that um, We're also not, you know, an incubator So we're not going to be, you know Kind of that, like, heavy, um, you know Educational, programmed with mentorship leading to, you know, hurdles and milestones that get you into the, I mean, those, those organizations are really good at what they do. And so we take the energy that we might, you know, might otherwise, uh, you know, burn trying to catch up or compete with them and put it back into like, this should just be a place to be you. And um, what that means is that, Uh, You know, when you walk into the collective, you hopefully immediately experience that um, there's just a level of kind of relax that that you get from people there. And, and, you know, that starts starts with our team, starts with the design, um, but then translates into, um, you know, supporting members so that they can feel relaxed. You can't just tell someone, hey, relax. You know, you got to really show them that you're going to be taken care of, you know, sit down. Make yourself a home. If you got people coming, we'll get them to you. Um, and that—that's um, where we try to kind of separate ourselves. And 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 the programming calendar is designed to bring, I think, great new experiences that are maybe on the edges of your passions that you hadn't been exposed to, and some things that are just like, yes, I am a photographer, and you just brought in an awesome lighting expert and. I know how to shoot food now better than ever, and that was just something that you know was on a Tuesday. Amazing, right? And so we try to have those types of programs um, regular, recurring, so that people really know, hey, I, I hang around, good stuff's coming, and um, and I think our investment in those those things separate us from something that's a little bit more productivity focused, um, and or something that is. Uh, you know the the other end of the spectrum, right? Things where you're selling the exclusivity, and and we really try to be as inclusive and open as possible, and not say that you know membership is based on status, but membership is based on kind of intention and values of um, you know generosity and love and engagement with each other, and and that seems to be working really well for us.
0: That sounds really smart, <laughs> both from the business sense and also from what you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, something that we keep talking about is community. And I think that it's such a strong place to be in, just because, like, especially in Seattle, where it's a city known for the Seattle freeze, and it's also a city that has just so many new people coming in all the time, a lot of it from tech. Mm -hmm. And something I hear constantly, and I've experienced myself, is, you know, I'm in this new city there's so many people. I don't know anybody. And where do I get started? Mm-hmm. And so, but one thing that I've always noticed in like a lot of co-working spaces, you know, I don't think there's, nobody says like we don't focus on community. Right. But then what <laughs> happens is, you know, you all show up, everyone has work. Right. Uh, you hunker down yeah. and maybe you'll talk to someone doing a happy hour, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I find really hard to get adults to talk to each other <laughs> when they don't know each other. Um, yeah. yeah. And so as far as the community front, I'm wondering what sort of um, efforts or routines have you put in place to actually, you know, engage the community and make sure that people who normally don't talk to each other actually have that chance to Right.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it starts with listening to your your customer. Your and for us, that's our members. And and what um, you know, when we sit down and have kind of an open conversation about. What brought you here, and, and what are you looking for, and, and you know what are you into? Um, it's really simple things that people actually are kind of like saying. You know, it would be really cool if you introduced me to someone else over coffee. And you're like, wow, okay, we can do that. You know, um, but then you actually have to do it. You know, so we we do a member to member connect. We're just, hey, you know, raise your hand, say yes, I'm interested in having coffee with someone. Tell us what times of the week are available to you and you know something you're excited about and then you know you get enough folks that that kind of give you that info and then you start pairing people up and and um that's just a simple you know kind of hey now that tim knows sue um sue might introduce tim to all of her other friends that um could have shared passions with him right uh the other the other thing that we've really discovered is that people are more interested in experiences that are in that, like, 8 to 12-person um, size rather than, oh, I went to this 80-person event. It's like the size of the event is not actually what's attracting people to them. Um, so when we look at um, uh, a meditation workshop or a um, you know coaching, like personal coaching, consulting hour or something, when we have, like, 8 or 9 people, I'm looking at that and being like, Oh, awesome. Folks had a, probably had a really high quality experience. When something someone shows up and they have seventy four people there, we're like, Wow, that was really popular. I wonder if it was a good experience, you know. And, and I mean certainly there's things that, you know, are more fun with a lot of people in the room. Live music can certainly be one of those, but um, the Seahawks game. Yeah, Seahawks. Yeah, don't yeah, you know, want an empty stadium experience, right? But I think that those those types of things are um where you know, it's not like we need to tr- invent a new thing or try a new thing. Every, it's just doing it consistently is, is probably more important than than uh, a new thing on the calendar every week. Is is kind of that uh, repetition so that people can you know expect it. If you missed it last week, hey, it's coming up again in two weeks. You know, you're going to be able to meet people. The you know the hardest thing I think is you know basically we're like this little um, you know. I call it, like, a little village within, you know, like, a massive city, right? Because we've got about 1,500 members, and, um, you know, that means, hey, those are the potential people that could show up on any given night. Um, But they live in a city that has a million things to do. (laughs) And and so um, you have uh, just really full lives. And, and, you know, knowing that, you know, with, you know, family, um, with travel, we've got a lot of members that... You know, are in all the time. And then you're like, wait, where did Bill go? Oh, Bill's been in New York for two weeks. Cause he, you know, runs his business there too. Or so things like that, where you're like, you really, you just realize, like, wow, the patterns of, of, um, folks lives, maybe especially in South Lake union is not as like, just kind of set. Like, Oh, I basically work in 95, you know, nine to five, like 50 weeks a year. It's so. Oh, no, sometimes I'm in, you know, Chicago and pitching and then, Oh, I was in Shanghai and you're just like, wait, what? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, and you're a nine to five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, so that's, that's kind of interesting is, is just trying to track people down to, you know, where you're like, Oh man, yeah, I really think you should meet someone. Uh, and then the calendar roulette can get crazy, you know? So sometimes you're just like, wow, we're looking for one day to have lunch and we're in mid October, you know, <laughs> yikes. Um, So, you know, those are the challenges. The modern life, I think, and just people are busy.
0: You, Whenever you have uh, events and experiences, you know, it sounds like the smaller events, Mm -hmm. some people are the ones that people feel really good about. Do you have any way, though, of tracking that? Like, how how do you keep track of, like, which events are the ones that people have enjoyed and which events Mm -hmm. maybe not so much?
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely... Anecdotally, pick up a lot from talking to folks about how they felt. Talking to the event organizer about, you know, what level of engagement they had with people before and after. Um, and then we, you know, we survey our members and, and we ask, you know, what what stood out as, um, you know, a uh, you know outstanding experience for you. What's, what's what was a peak experience? What's something that you'd remember next month and reference? You know, it's like I'm glad I did that. Um, those things you, you, you kind of take note of and say okay well, let's make sure we have um, some experiences that fit in that framework again on the calendar um, it's hard I mean it's hard to get people to fill out a survey right so to some degree you you're just trying to um, you know read the room so to speak and say like okay yeah that felt good um, and then and then you, you know you, you do, track your attendance and all, and all that to, to, to really kind of say, okay, well, you know, maybe even more importantly than did seven people go to yoga uh, or 70 people go to, you know, the show, but they came back again to the same event the next week or the next month, meaning like, hey, they, they made a note in their world to prioritize against all the other things they could do to do this again with you. So... Um, you've really delivered some value to that, that person there. And so pay attention to that. Now that you've been attending The Collective for a while,
0: what have been some lessons or changes you've made since when you first opened? Hmm.
1: Well, you know, I think one of the things that we thought um, initially was that there would be, hmm, how do I say this? I think I thought people had more time (laughs) than they actually do. So while we have a lot of our programming um, being member-led, the bandwidth that you can ask of folks within the context of the rest of the things they have going on um, might be a little bit less than, a, than I thought. And so one of the things we've we really tried to do is, is streamline the ability to put, put some of these events and experiences together, set expectations really clearly, rather than say, um, and this kind of goes back to the f- like kind of freedom within the framework kind of thing, like, rather than say, like okay, what event would you like to put on among 100% of the possibilities in the world? And you kind of have that person look back at you and going like, oh, man, I, I don't know. I thought you were the professional here. Um, so, so what we've really tried to do is say, okay, let's <laughs> not package the experience, but certainly pre- provide the framework to be like, okay, are you looking for an event that fits into this mode where it's like content-driven or is it interactive-driven? Is it small conversations? And then I think the other thing that we really learned was um, people – there's a demand for just space to host your, your crew, you know, a little, not huge private events, but small private People, like, want to get 20 people together very often. So we've had to learn within, you know, basically a two very large rooms, how do you host two different groups of 20 people that want to hang out with each other? Not necessarily don't want to see another group around, but, you know, kind of have a their own program that they, that they want to do. And so we've had to get really um, creative in ways that we host and, and, and manage our space in that way that hadn't necessarily been on my, you know, kind of radar as, wow, this is going to be a big challenge. Um, and then the other thing would be, you know, there is a demand for um, space to, to take a meeting or record a podcast. And so one of the, one of the adjustments we made is we had this art studio that artists were... Excited to apply to be the artist in residence, and members were excited to have them. But those artists that um, were kind of getting chosen to be our artists in residence uh, were very successful artists and had their studio at home or in another place that was really dialed. And so it's hard to say, like, hey, you should. Also set up another studio for three months. So what we what we kind of shifted away from there was saying this is not going to be an art studio, but we're going to have an art program, and we're going to partner with uh, Shunpike uh, and and try to provide support for artists and experiences within the arts community for our members. But not necessarily think that we're going to have you know 200 square feet of you know kind of paint on the walls uh, with someone in their painting all day every day. That so that was another shift for us where we were like oh yeah this is not. Actually serving the purpose, which is to engage people with each other around arts. Now, I think our model is is actually much stronger than that. And you know, an empty room is always a hard hard thing to kind of justify. Where you're like, wow, how do we get that you know activated? And and so we're always tweaking on that front.
0: Yeah, an empty room, especially in South Lake Union, right. <laughs> especially hard to justify.
1: Yeah, rent's not cheap down here.
0: Yeah. Um, when you were talking about having using the same space for multiple conferences or multiple groups (coughs) something probably not something your knowledge may vary but Mm -hmm. one thing I've seen at a conference which I thought was kind of neat was you had a giant auditorium Mm -hmm. like this is for thousands of people but they had three separate tracks and so what they did is silent disco style you had a little, little headphones and depending on which presenter you wanted to focus on, you can switch tracks and you can switch between
1: switch tracks. Yeah, yeah. I, we did we did silent disco for a party. Uh, I'd never heard of it before we we, we we had it and it was a huge hit. People loved it. Um, yeah, it's funny, that that is the the biggest challenge really is when when an event is gonna be content driven. Someone needs people to be quiet and be focused on what they're saying for more than 30 seconds, okay, that, you know, they kind of need their own room. And and that's the the biggest juggle is, you know, making sure people are able to deliver their message in in their, you know, format that they'd like to without asking someone that's having dinner to, um, you know, decide to learn about something that they're not interested in. So how do you navigate that today? Well, we, I mean it's funny this summer we we open our patio so we have um experiences on the patio now uh we've had some pretty fun like um dating game we call a partnership with uh the evergrey and they run um, this, this event called modern love um so we've had that on the patio so that hey there's a dating game going on it's got 50 people at it they're talking on the mics they're joking around and you know 10 feet away but inside the, the wall is normal dinner service and, and both of those can happen in parallel with each other. Um, other times, you know, it, it is about figuring out, hey, what, what room is best for, for this? And, 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 you know, sometimes it means resetting expectations around like, hey, not everything is going to happen main center stage. You know, you've got 17 people coming, you're not going to give a 45 minute speech on main center stage to 17 people in a room that's designed for 300, you know, and, and just kind of like talking people through that. And they're like, okay, yeah, I get that. Um, so, you know, just more communication basically is how you navigate that.
0: Yeah. That's, I think a lesson that I keep learning in multiple contexts is <laughs> communication. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It yeah. comes down to communication. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, 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 you know, finding the right communication, Communication um, medium for for who you're trying to communicate with. You know, one of the things I've I've learned is, um, you know, some people just don't check their email or or get so much email that it's it's you know it's lost in the shuffle almost immediately. And um, you can do a lot by just making a phone call. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's always a good reminder. Oh, I sent this person three emails and they never responded. I called them and they answered and we made a plan for you know tomorrow. And you're like, oh, I just needed to find the right mode to communicate. Text message or phone or whatever it is, um, and then I, I, the other thing that I that I've really enjoyed about being in South Lake Union and you know in this in just being in the city is like a lot of times it can be really hard to plan a meeting ten days out, right? Everyone's got things on their calendar. Oh, I got a buffer against this. What if that meeting goes long? I, you know, I might want to take the day off to go skiing or whatever it is. But, like, so many times if you're like, hey, can we meet tomorrow for 20 minutes? People are going to be like, yeah, no problem. I'll be over there at 1030. Okay, great, done. And, and so the, that short-term, like, last-minute meeting is always uh, kind of a fun thing to, to turn out where you're like, oh, maybe I don't need to make as many plans and fill my calendar for next week. I just got to, as I go through the week, get in touch with the people I need to, schedule something quick. And um, it's actually, you know, you can stay in a better flow that way. Um, so that's been kind of a fun um, way. And, you know, it's nice to basically just be able to invite people over to coffee because we've got a great coffee and we're just right there. And people seem to, you know, be happy to drop in and have a space that's casual to do that. Yeah.
0: I think it's Warren Buffett who, like, he has this policy where if you try to book him, like, a week in advance even, like, he <laughs> just won't do it. Yeah. But if it's, like, same day, then he'll have openings. Yeah. And it's just like this. In the future is flexible, but at the present you actually know what's bright
1: on. Right, right, yeah. I mean, I, I I like that, and you know, I guess he's pretty good a guy to take a you know strategy from. He's done a couple of things, <laughs> He's so. figured yeah figure it um, out a
0: bit. But when you're talking about calendar, mm-hmm. um, it is such a ridiculous thing today because I have a buddy of mine who he's doing a startup that is basically trying to find people meeting rooms mm-hmm. but the whole idea is because people cancel or flake or do these things all the time mm-hmm. they don't actually book the meeting room until like 10 minutes before your meeting and so the idea <laughs> is like to optimize the amount of space and then i'll yeah. send you to the closest room depending on where people are
1: yeah yeah well i mean even like us trying to schedule this conversation it was mm-hmm. like well, when are you going to be traveling or not and and you know uh when we when we connected like a month ago we probably could have been like well tomorrow afternoon yeah okay that's fine you know so i mean it's it is it is a it is crazy how fluid you know folks schedules can be and and sometimes how how fluid they need to be like things come up you know like especially we always i mean we take the approach of you know family first and and so you know when there's things going on that you got to be focused on your people focus on your people and then you know We've got enough depth of you know people that know what's going on to to, to cover things, but um, you know, hopefully, you have that resiliency within your organization too, where any you know more than one person could take the meeting. You know, uh, different in like freelance, solo, entrepreneur world, but um, you know, it is kind of fun to to realize, oh, if I step away from this, actually, it's better to have one of my team members lead lead this project. You know, they've got the right bandwidth for that. Um, the you that you're not alone. You have a community. Yeah. Oh man, exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, moving forward, um, where do you want to take this? Like I'm I know I'm not the first person to consume yeah, yeah, this. No. <laughs> but you know, say that everything goes according to plan or mm-hmm. close enough to it in the next, you know, two to five years. Mm-hmm. What do you want to build?
1: Ooh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I want to build all sorts of stuff. Um, I want to build a house. <laughs> I'm working on a house, personally. Um, I I really, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of maturing of our um, community and culture at The Collective as we stand today in, um, you know, on Dexter in South Lake Union. Um, I, I think that the need that we are meeting for folks is um, one that is not unique to uh, South Lake Union uh, and, and so I do think the opportunity to um, you know, be a third place for, for um, communities in other parts of the city or other parts of the country is, is, is a real one and um, you know certainly one that, that is exciting I, I really don't know that um, you know, there is a plan that says you know this, then that then this, then that Um, or, uh, you know, then we go here, then we go there and then, you know, whatever. It's more, um, finding the right partnerships and, and, and opportunities to deliver, I think that high quality experience and, 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 you know, that means recognizing the right combination of kind of resources and market at the same time. And, and I think one thing I really learned from, um, I was riding my bike um, to get a haircut earlier today and uh, just rode by one of the buildings that we, that we had thought about and um, just was realizing like, oh, we should not have moved into that building. It was a good thing that we didn't take that opportunity or that opportunity didn't solidify. And so being patient <laughs> for the right, partners in the right position is something we're super willing to do because um, you know pushing it in almost anything whether that's climbing or skiing or business or relationships is is generally gonna you know put you out of out of whack a little bit down the road and and, you know you'll have to readjust anyway so nice to just be patient and let things arrive when they need to that sounds like sound advice to me it seems like it's worked out well enough for you yeah yeah I mean it has I mean there's always that like you know when you see that opportunity there then go for it you know I mean don't you know don't be shy about when you say okay yes things are in the right place well then do everything to make it happen you know it's not be slow it's just be patient yeah
0: look for the right time yeah um, on the topic of time, we're getting to the end of this podcast. Uh-huh. So I'm going to move on to some closing questions, which I ask all my guests. And the first one is about something that recently inspired you. This could be something from your life or something that you've noticed around you in the world.
1: Oh. Well, last night, um, driving home, uh, we went out for my wife's birthday with her sister and, and their and their kids and um, and, and uh, my brother-in-law and just had a nice dinner. But we we were coming back um, on to we live on Bainbridge and so we were kind of driving around by the water and just noticed how flat and calm the water was and and this time of year, um, especially after warm days, you get that um, bioluminescence and so uh, we. You know, it was late. It, I had to get up early. It did not make sense to be like, "Oh, let me cut my number of hours of sleep tonight in half." But we got we grabbed the paddles and went down to the beach and and went for a paddle at night. And um, that I mean that inspired me. That was that was uh, one of the best nature experiences um, that I've had in a long time, and not you know. <laughs> not in a life that is not filled with playing outside, but where the whole point of what we were doing was just to experience the place. So it wasn't to, like, we weren't, like, paddling hard or doing anything extreme. Like, I mean, we, we climbed last weekend, um, and it was hard work, and, you know, we were up high in the Alpine, and um, it was a nature experience, but not in the same way in that, it, you know, you had this, like, really hard-working goal you were going towards. This was just, like mostly just stand there and be quiet that inspired me (laughs) uh just just listening just being there and it seems like you know it was just something that you found in the moment yeah 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 yeah. well we couldn't have planned it right You, you can't plan like hey let's find when it's uh next tuesday night um, you know, it's gonna be no wind and um, really clear. Like you, you can't plan. And yeah. <laughs> we're, we're not gonna be injured. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's like uh, right now we could have an amazing experience. Let's do it. Yeah. It's like yeah. climbing Mount Conier in the summer. It's if the conditions are great, go for it. Yeah, I will. <laughs> I made that decision on. Wednesday night uh and then joined my friends that were had a campsite and then were climbing on on Saturday. So I I I also did that.
0: <laughs> yeah. My next question is uh, what is something
1: that people might find surprising about you? Hmm. Um surprising about me. Well, I think I <laughs> I always joke that you should never like let people know you're good at things that you don't actually want to do a lot of but um I know I'm I know how to plumb I'm like I can plumb a sink or a toilet or a shower <laughs> i like uh, I grew up working you know with my hands a lot when working construction and and we we're building this house and so last week I you know learned how to drive the mini excavator and and you know running chainsaw. like that probably is not something that my city life people would be like, oh, you run power tools most of the time that you're not in the city? Oh, interesting. (laughs) Um, And that just comes from, I think, growing up in Olympia and and kind of being in that, like, well, if you can do it yourself, then just do it yourself uh, attitude that kind of was part of our family. Yeah.
0: I recently found out that my wife loves power tools. Yeah. <laughs> and so we just finished a home construction project drilling a whiteboard on the wall. Um, it was more complicated than it needed to be because we're in an apartment mm-hmm. and the beams didn't quite fit the whiteboard. And so <laughs> then we had to drill wooden planks onto the wall. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Yeah. But Anyways, now I think we're going to have a lot more construction projects going forward. Perfect, perfect, and perfect. not halfway deposit back. But
1: yeah, that's like one of the things you make.
0: Right, right. Um, my next question is about principles, and are there any principles that you like to live by? Whew.
1: Well, i I mean, the biggest kind of benefit that I've experienced. In life has been people that have been generous with me, uh, and generous with their time, or generous with their connections. And so, I I, I always try to look for that opportunity to be generous. And um, you know, some some days it's harder to take the time to pause and think through a situation, and and you know, think about ways that you could, you know, be more generous with someone or 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 or. or do a little bit extra to help make a connection or, or, or an introduction, but um, that's that's something that that has continued to bring value to me in life. And so when I ha- when I recognize like the privilege I have to, to share that with someone else, that that's something that I I really try to come back to. Um, and then the you know the, I, I really I think the other one patience is 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 kind of paired with that in some ways. But um, you know listening to. Um, yourself listen to the world and trying to figure out where, where can you be patient I'm not uh, inclined to be patient necessarily like personality wise I think I have to work on that um, because I love to get stuff done you know and go for it and and sometimes uh, it's that reminder to like pause and think about it that's that's really helpful um,
0: I struggle with patience as well. <laughs> uh, if that's any consolation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I appreciate you being generous with your time and coming on. And so I just have one last question then before I let you go. And this one's open-ended. And is there anything that we haven't covered today that
1: you'd like to talk about now? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I think that connected to place and um, the privilege that we have to be in Puget Sound area and and in um, in Western Washington, I, I, one thing that we've been working to bring forward in our communications at the collective is just recognizing the um, Native American tribes and, and um, communities that have stewarded this this place, the you know Puget Sound, for for generations, thousands of years, and and so the opportunity to you know, recognizes that they have put in this, you know, incredible service to everybody for having preserved this place in the way they have. And, um, and that they're still here and that we are, uh, as a collective society making kind of an outsized impact for our era on, on it. Um, that's something that I, that I always just struggle with figuring out how, you know, Hey, we're in you know this big development boom how can we steer this some of this energy and resource towards um, something that's going to serve us all for the long run and I, and I think that um, you know the Native American community in, in, in the Puget Sound area specifically has done such an incredible job of showing that there are ways to, to, to live in this place that is seems like a great place to live because it is and like supports life really well. So that's, that for me is always, um, a puzzle and, and, and not something that we've like figured out how to do, um, to be as good a stewards as we could be, but, um, always something on my mind. Yeah. And it's always something that it's good to be thinking about,
0: especially today Yeah, and any day. In the meantime, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Kevin again, which is a few more things before you go. First of all, thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple or Google Play. That really helps other people find this show. Until next time, hope you have some great conversations.